we uh, talk about this, this series we're in, Prepare the Way, we are uh, talking about this season of Advent. If you're not familiar, uh, this word Advent comes from this Latin word Adventus. It literally just means coming or arrival. And at this time of the year, what we're doing is we're anticipating, we're preparing for the, the coming of, of Jesus. And what we celebrate on, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is that Jesus Christ, God became flesh. He, he came, he was born as a baby, the coming of Jesus. And here's what I know is that Christmas can be a little bit of a chaotic and crazy season. In fact, right now, did you know that we are exactly 21 days away from Christmas? Did you know that? Some of you just got really excited and some of you just got really anxious. Right? Because you're like, well, I have a lot left to do. 21 days, three weeks. Like, is it really that fast? Yeah, it's coming that fast. And the reality is this, Christmas can make you do crazy things. Uh, like the other day, my wife and I, we went to Last Chance. It's crazy, right? If you don't know, Last Chance is like this extension of the, the store Nordstrom. Phoenix apparently is one of the only places in the, the country that has Last Chance. People travel here to go to Last Chance. Crazy, right? And so my wife and I, we ventured into the, the crazy of, of Last Chance. There's, there's clothes everywhere, like, and there's people everywhere. And we just grabbed like three things. And I remember my wife was like, all right, we're good. And uh, I said, okay. And I started walking to the front of the store. And she started walking to the back of the store. And I was like, babe, the cashiers are up front. And she said, no, 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 the line starts back here. Crazy things at Christmas, right? And so, and I remember just, we're standing in this long line and we're just waiting. And just uh, instinctively, I commented to my wife. I just said, I feel like I'm wasting my life away. Because that's how I felt in that moment. Like, I just felt like there's no purpose to my life anymore. I started to question a lot, just waiting. And some of you have been there, right? And silly circumstances like that. Like, you've been waiting for someone to pull out of their parking spot in a full parking lot. Anybody been there? And you're, let's be honest, you're stalking the person that's walking to their car, which is creepy to do in any sphere of life, and yet parking, it's fine, Right? And they're getting into their car, and you're like, they're about to leave. And they're not about to leave. They're doing devotionals inside their car. <laughs> they're singing. They're doing hymn sings as a family, just having a great time. And you're like, are you serious? And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and we all know what it's like to wait in simple things like that. But some of you know what it's like to wait in more significant things, like waiting on a spouse. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today, but maybe we should. Yeah, if somebody said amen, go find him later. We help you guys out, like bring it together. It's Christmas, all right? But, but some of you know what it's like to wait for a spouse. Some of you know what it's like to wait for a child. And some of that's just like, hey, that's our next season. We're a young couple and we're waiting on to have a kid. But some of you know what it's like to, to wait on a kid not knowing if you can have a kid. And some of you know that kind of waiting. And some of you know the, the waiting of a cure, for a disease, for you or somebody that you know and that's close to you. Some of you know the waiting for conflict to be resolved. And some of you know the waiting specifically at Christmas time that you are hoping and waiting for that conflict to be resolved with that family member before Christmas so it's not awkward. And many of you know what it's like to, to wait for simple things and for significant things. And so as we are in week two of this series, Prepare the Way, the reality is there's a lot of waiting and preparing. And so we want to talk about, I just want to ask this simple question. It's our sermon title for the day. Why do we wait? Why the wait? 
What is God doing in the waiting? Why, why are you waiting for that, that cure for that sickness? Why isn't it here right now? Why are you waiting for a child? Why are you waiting for a spouse? Why are you waiting for that career promotion where you're like, I'm gonna be able to provide for my family? Isn't that what God wants me to do? Why are you waiting for that? Is there a point to it at all? So I just wanna ask that honest question this morning. We're gonna look at a passage in scripture, a story of waiting in Luke chapter one. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, go to your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we're gonna be in chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. You can take that one with you. you. It's our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. And if you are not familiar with scripture or the book of Luke, maybe you've read the Christmas story out of the book of Luke, but you're not really sure much background. Uh, Luke was not a prophet. He was a medical doctor. And so as you can imagine, that kind of mind, the way he wrote this book of, of Luke was he interviewed people. Some people think he interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he interviewed lots of people, did all his research to provide an accurate account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we come to Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. Look at what it says with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." So why do we wait? Here's our first point, if you take notes. There is refining in the waiting. There's refining in the waiting. Uh, we're gonna get to that, but first I wanna introduce you to some key characters that you, you just read about. And again, in this season, maybe we read passages like this and we just sort of glaze over uh, details, but I want you to get all the details. So the, the first character we're introduced to is in verse five. His name is Herod the Great. Uh, this was a historical figure, a historical ruler who was commissioned by Mark Antony in the Roman Senate around 40 BC. He was a Jew Jewish ruler, but uh, presiding uh, for Rome. And he's primarily known, if you read up on King uh, Herod and Herod the Great, he's primarily known for his amazing buildings that he would build and extensions of even things like the temple and those sorts of things. But he's also known in the book of Matthew for killing a lot of babies. 
You see, when Jesus is born, Herod feels threatened because he starts to hear rumbles that Jesus is this coming king and, and he's king and doesn't want his power to be lost. And so he starts murdering children. And so that's Herod, supposedly the, the great. And then we're introduced to Zechariah, who couldn't be further from King Herod in every single way. Uh, Zechariah wasn't a king, he was a priest. And so he was to tell people about God. He was to point to not himself and his own platform. He was called to point to the person of of God. And he would do that through Old Testament stories and, and other things like that. And specifically, did you notice, we get this detail that he was a priest of the division of Abijah. Now, why do we get that? Well, it's because he was a priest of the division of Abijah. He was from a place, specifically. He was part of this uh, priesthood of a lot of people. Scholars think maybe at this time there was like 18,000 priests. And so don't think um, Zechariah, this priest at the Jerusalem temple, this this main hub for for what would be Christianity. No, no, think about uh, a pastor like in Buckeye. That's what uh, Zechariah is. He's a priest in a small town, in a small place called Abijah. Just one of 24 divisions of 18,000 priests. That's the Zechariah. And then we're introduced to his wife, Elizabeth, and we get her family lineage. It says she's a descendant of Aaron. That's Moses' older brother. And it says uh, they're both advanced in years, including Elizabeth. Now, I don't know if she would have appreciated that. But nevertheless, that's what we know about Elizabeth, right? She was older, And as we look at that, why do we go through those details? We're going to want to know those details. It helps shape the story and what we're going to learn today. But it also, I always want to remind you at this time of the year specifically, that what we are reading has no once upon a time anywhere in there. Did you catch a once upon a time? This is not a fairy tale, right? I think at Christmas, sometimes the nostalgia, the magic of Christmas, we start reading the Bible, we apply that magic to this story. And what you need to know is this is a story rooted in history, that's why we have specific names and, and Abijah and places and family lineage and, and all of these sorts of things so that other people, as we write, as this was written down, other people could have refuted this. So this is something that really happened. It's not make-believe, it's not fairy tale. It's a real setting with real people in a real time. And there is real waiting There's waiting for the people of God as a whole. People are waiting to to hear from God, to hear about a way to God that was promised in the Old Testament. See, if you were to take your Bible and open it up to about the middle and you were to see the book of Malachi, that's the last book of the Old Testament. And if you were just to take a few seconds, that's all it would take you to flip forward to the New Testament, to the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke. It would just take you a few seconds to flip those pages. And yet, in that time, that was 400 years of silence from God. No prophet was being raised up. No revelation was being given about that coming Messiah that everybody was hoping and waiting for. So everybody is waiting collectively. But then Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're also waiting personally. They're waiting for a son. We read that they are advanced in years. That means old. It's a nice way to say it but they're old. And so they've been waiting for decades to have a child. And now why is that an important detail? Because you need to know in that culture that waiting on a child, specifically Luke says they are barren. That that was the ultimate shame in that culture. 
We get a glimpse of it in verse 25 a little bit later on where uh, Elizabeth says that God has taken away her reproach, her shame, her disgrace as she finds out, I'm finally gonna have a kid. Then in that culture, your, your identity, your security, your legacy was tied to having a, a child and passing everything on to that child. And it was so much a part of your identity and it was so much uh, a part of your shame if you did not have a child that it, it could often be grounds for divorce if your wife was barren. I think, why are we even married if we can't have a kid? And if it wasn't divorce, we see this at times in the Old Testament, it was unfaithfulness, it was adultery. If, if she can't give you a kid, hey, go to another woman and have a kid with, with her. And if those two things didn't happen, divorce or adultery, uh, at the very least, what happened was just bitterness. Because you gotta imagine, like some, and some of you know what this feels like, like Psalm 127 says, children are a gift from the Lord. So God, why are you depriving me of that gift? And people would become bitter. See, there's different types of waiting, isn't there? Some of you right now, and, and you're waiting, if you're honest, and you can be honest in church today, you're, you're a little bitter, God, right now. Like, you're waiting on that spouse. God, why won't you provide that? Waiting on that child. You're waiting on that career. You're waiting on that resolution to that conflict. You're waiting on that health in the midst of your sickness. And there's different ways to wait on that. I'll put it to you like this. Uh, there, there's a type of waiting that all of us have experienced like in the waiting room at a doctor's office. Okay? Now, in, in, that, in that setting, in that type of waiting, what are you doing? Nothing, <laughs> except maybe playing Candy Crush or whatever game you have on your phone. You're just, you're just doing nothing and you're waiting. And then yet there's another type of waiting where you're running a, a race and you know there's a, a finish line that you haven't gotten to yet. You're waiting on it, but what are you doing? You're still running. You're still pursuing. You're still going after that end game. There's different types of waiting. What kind of waiting are Zechariah and Elizabeth doing? We read about it. They, they were righteous. They were blameless. They were obeying God. Zechariah was serving God in really unique ways as he gets to go to the main temple in Jerusalem, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for these priests. Zechariah, it's his lot. It his, it's his time. And he goes to this temple, and it says he burns incense. In this temple, he's in the presence of God. It was a huge honor. You may not look at that and think it was a huge honor, but Zechariah would have, his culture would have. And he gets to serve God in this very unique way. He gets to burn incense in the presence of God. Now, again, something we often don't really understand. Maybe some of you burn incense because you think it smells good or for the ambiance. That's not why they burned incense. They would burn incense specifically in the temple to remind themselves in the presence of God that as the smoke went up in the air, that God receives and hears their worship and their prayers. And Zechariah got to serve in this way. He didn't say, no, I'm good. I'm kind of bitter at God right now. I'm waiting on a son. I don't know if you guys know that. So I'm gonna hit pause on this one. I'm not gonna participate in this. No, he said in his waiting, he was obeying, he was serving, and they were both praying. Did you catch that in verse 13? That the angel says to Zechariah, hey, God has heard your prayer. And you gotta imagine they were advanced in years. They were older, barren, without a kid. How long had they been praying in the waiting? How long have they been praying? 
See, there's different types of waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth, but in this case study, they were, they were waiting, but they were obeying. They, they were waiting, but they were serving. They were waiting, but they were praying and asking God for what they were waiting on. Listen, I just need to free some of y'all today. Maybe if you've grown up in a church, specifically uh, around a, a spouse, like some of you told to wait on a spouse, like just faithfully serve God. And you, you know, like that whole thing of like, nobody says this, but we kind of act like this. Like, uh, so you want a spouse. So why don't you act like you don't want it? And then God will give it to you. Where do we read that in scripture? Right? We're told to submit prayer requests and supplications and, and prayers of thanksgiving and, and anything that we are, are worrying about, we should, instead of worrying, we should be praying about. And maybe it's a spouse and maybe it's a child and maybe it's a job to provide for your family and maybe it's a cure to that disease. Listen, if you're wondering what you should do in the waiting, you should be praying in the waiting. Uh, my family and I, we're going through just kind of a simple, but kind of a big thing of waiting in our lives right now. Uh, my eighth grade uh, uh, 13-year-old daughter is about to go into high school. And in Phoenix, uh, they make that like going to college. <laughs> Any parents in the room like feel me on that? Like you we went through this process, you're about to. And so my, my daughter is like applying to all these high schools. And like I, I, I joke, but sometimes it does feel like this. It feels like her entire success rides on this choice. It feels like my entire retirement rides on this choice. It feels like her future husband that she's going to marry rides on this choice. It feels like whether she's going to do drugs and go off and sex drugs and rock and roll, or she's going to follow Jesus faithfully till she's married and be pure. It feels like we're hanging on that line, people. Y'all pray for us, okay? It feels like we're waiting. And let me, let me just tell you, like, sometimes... Like, I'm not always like Zechariah and Elizabeth obeying and praying and serving in the waiting. Sometimes I'm worrying in the waiting. Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll just take the heat. And my wife, like, she's so sweet. Um, she put this thing on our mantle that says, like, um, pray more, worry less. And I hate that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, can we take that down? Like... Some of you are like, is he the pastor? I know, I got issues. I'm sorry. Um, but I just, because it catches me, it convicts me. When I'm waiting, sometimes I'm worrying. Instead of lifting this thing up to God, like, God, you, you know the high school. You know the husband she's going to marry one day. You know, like, if she's going to provide for me and, like, what house she's going to get me, like, uh, when I'm retired. God, you know all that. And I'm just going to, instead of worrying in the waiting, I'm going to be praying in the waiting. See, see, maybe the question we should be asking is not just why the wait, but how to wait. Because here, here's why you're waiting. There is refining in the waiting. As you obey and serve and pray in the midst of that waiting for that spouse or that kid or that career or that cure, there's refining. God's refining you. Do you know this? He's not just, he's not messing with you. He's not jacking with you. He's refining you. And so we need to talk about, like, how are we waiting? How are you waiting this morning? God, God's refining you. That's why. How are you waiting? That's our first point. Second, last point, is there is remembering in the waiting. Why the wait? There's refining in the waiting, and there's remembering in the waiting. 
Look at verse 11 with me. Uh, There is an angel that shows up to Zechariah in this temple as he is burning incense, as he is serving. This angel shows up and it says Zechariah is troubled and fear falls upon him. Why? Because it's an angel. And we've watched too much of Touched by an Angel in the 90s. And we think an angel is like a nice British lady, but an angel is like this warrior in scripture, like this messenger of God. And, and, and he's just serving God, doing his thing. And this angel shows up in his presence and he's fearful. And I love this. The angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Did you know that's the most common command in all of the Bible? 365 plus times. Like every day of the year, it's almost like we need this command of do not be afraid. It's almost like in the midst of his waiting, he needed to know, do not be afraid. I think for most of us, as we are waiting, we are fearful in our waiting. We're fearful because of the uncertainty of what's to come on the other side of that waiting. How is that relationship going to turn out? What is that decision going to be? I mean, how many of you, like, you check your email waiting on something significant, and you just start pulling it down, pulling it down, refreshing your screen over and over? Anybody done that? Like, you guys are way more spiritual than I am. I'm like, no, 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 I want to know. I want to know. And there's some fear. It's laced with fear. Like, what's going to happen? What are they going to say? Why are they not saying anything? And why did I text them and they didn't respond? And it's just those little bubbles. And there's, there's fear. And so the angel says to Zechariah, the angel says to us, God says to us, in your waiting, do not fear. That even though that thing you're waiting for hasn't come to fruition yet, you need to hear this today. God still loves you. God's still with you. You, do you believe that? In the waiting, not after the waiting. God's still with you. He's still for you. He's still coming alongside you. He's coming alongside you to refine you and to help you remember him in the midst of the waiting. Don't forget that. Don't be afraid in the midst of your waiting. That's what the angel tells Zechariah. Verse 13, he starts to unpack this news of what's coming, this thing that they have been waiting for. I'm just going to list these things that the angel says. He says, you're going to have a son that's going to bring joy to many people. How many of you know when you find out somebody's having a baby, it's a joyful time? Yeah? Like my wife and I, we have three kids, 13, 10, and seven. We've been through the whole baby stage like three times and and the pregnancy, all all that kind of stuff. My wife, not me, I didn't, that was her. Uh, She was pregnant. Uh, But we've kind of been there and done that. And yet some friends of ours uh, just found out they were expecting. And man, I was giddy. (laughs) Like, and I was in a room with them and I was like kind of nudging the the dad of like, are you gonna tell him? (laughs) Can I tell him? And he's like, no, stop, weirdo. And it's just like, man, it just brings joy to so many people. Again, this is a real story, a real couple. And they're having a baby. And children are a gift from the Lord. And so it's exciting and it's bringing joy. And specifically, this baby, the angel says, is going to be named John. This is really significant. This is going to be John the Baptist, the one Malachi prophesied about, the one that everybody had been waiting on to come and prepare the way for the Lord, to reconcile people to himself through Jesus, first had to come one to share about Jesus and point to Jesus. 
and they get to hear, hey, that's going to be your kid. And I love that it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. He, he names the child and he knows the child, even in the womb. Incredible. He says, your son will be great. And this is key. He says, before the Lord. Remember what Herod uh, was called? What was Herod called? Herod the great. He says, hey, you're going to have a son who's going to be great before the Lord. How many of you know there's a big difference between great before the world and great before the Lord? John the Baptist, he's going to be great before the Lord. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're not just going to have a son. You're going to have a son like, like that. The son that, that Jesus goes on to say, he's the greatest. John the Baptist, he's the greatest. Zechariah and Elizabeth hear that they're going to have that son. He won't take any drink. He'll be specially consecrated to God and give up that freedom. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is quoting the end of the book of Malachi from the Old Testament. Now, this is just fascinating to me because we're in the temple. The presence of God is here. An angel of the Lord shows up. They've been praying and waiting on a child. I I thought the angel, as I read this, I thought, why didn't the angel just say, hey, you're going to have a child. He's going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And why wasn't it just forward focused? Why is he quoting the Old Testament? And see, what you have to realize is sometimes in the waiting, there is doubting. And that was the case for Zechariah. If you were to go on to read what you, what you read is Zechariah says, hey, how is this going to happen? I'm old. And I love the angels like drop the mic response. He says, because I'm angel Gabriel. <laughs> we're in the presence of God. This is God's promise to you. This is going to happen. But Zechariah doubts. So God says, you need to wait some more. And he shuts his mouth. For nine months, as they wait on John to come, he can't talk. But at the end of that, he goes from doubting to singing. How did he do that? I think as as God wanted to set Zechariah up, he realized that, man, you're going to doubt these things. So if I just point you to a future promise and you don't think about God's past faithfulness, then maybe you won't anchor and trust in God as you wait on God. Maybe you'll just slip off into doubting God as you wait on God. Anybody relate to that? This is Zechariah. He was a priest. This is what he experienced. This is what he needed. So I believe one of the reasons we see Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting, one of the reasons you are waiting in your life and and you're not just being pointed to the future, you're being pointed to God's past faithfulness is because in the season of waiting, It's this unique time, unlike any other, where you have the space to look back. You have the space to look back. That if God were to give you that spouse right now, would you have to think about, God, do you care about me? Are you still good to me? God, have you provided for me in the past? Can I trust you? Would you have to think about that? No, you would just be like, thanks, God. Thanks for the spouse. Or that child, or that cure, or that job. Why does God have you waiting? It's about remembering his faithfulness. It's about looking back. And instead of doubting, trusting God, okay, you got this. You're faithful. You've done this before. In my life and other people's lives, 
I think what's so fascinating about Zechariah is he was a priest. Like his job was to know the Old Testament story and teach it to other people. And there's this Old Testament story that's really similar to this, this New Testament story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's about Abraham and Sarah. They're really old, advanced in years. And yet God says, you're going to have a kid. And they laugh. <laughs> and what's crazy to me is Zechariah would have known that story and taught that story. And yet in this moment, he forgets all about that story. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy? He gets so caught up in his circumstance, so caught up in what he's waiting for, that he forgets what God has done already in the past. Anybody, like, I know y'all never done that. You get so caught up in what you're waiting for in your present circumstance, and you just forget about God's faithfulness in the past. Maybe that's why God has you still waiting, because you need to be remembering to anchor in his faithfulness. We, we do have this thing that we're waiting on as a church, this, this union of two churches, as Bethany Bible Church joins with, with Phoenix Bible Church. And many of you know, we've, we've waited a long time, really the better part of 2022, as we've prayed and planned and asked, God, do you want this to happen? And we, we've waited. But even a few weeks ago, when we announced, hey, this is official, God's bringing our two churches together, we said, but not yet. Wait, And some of you have honestly asked me, like, Tim, can we go ahead and shake hands and just do this thing already? And the reality is one of the reasons why we're waiting is there's a lot to be done. And I would ask you, pray for our church staff. Pray for our elders. There's a lot to be done to do this well, to do this with wisdom. And so that's one of the reasons why we're waiting. But another reason why we're waiting, I mean, it just hit me the other day, is, is the remembering. That God has given us this unique time of waiting to remember the past. It was, we wait for the future to remember the past. So e even this week, like it's just caused me to think about things I haven't thought about in years, like our first Easter as a church. I just, I just, we have this season of waiting and we're looking towards the future. And I just thought about the past and I thought about our first Easter and how we were meeting in a school and how the sound was all jacked up and the lighting was all messed up. And it was our, our first Easter as a church. And as a, a preacher, I'm like, man, if I can't get that right, then there's no hope for anything else. And there was all this pressure and all this, like, can we, can we do this? And yet, as I, I, I preached this sermon, as we had an Easter service, we do baptisms on Easter. And there was this one girl who responded on the spot. And she got up and shared this testimony. To which, to be honest, we're always a little worried about you, what you're going to say in that testimony. But what she said was, like 10 times better than my sermon. And she referenced something I had said that I didn't even remember and how she had a dream about that same thing and that God convicted her of sin and she'd been in her church all her life, but she wasn't a believer and she'd never been rescued out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus. She got baptized. And I haven't thought about that in years. And I think maybe God in this season of waiting is causing me to, to look back at the past faithfulness as we wait on the future realities of our church. I don't think, I, I know that's why God has us in this season of waiting. That as we look to a, a next season and maybe some of you are excited, maybe some of you are anxious, you're like, God, we're waiting. How is this all gonna look? What, what is this all gonna be like? And then maybe God has given us this unique space of waiting, not just to look forward, but to look back and anchor in his faithfulness. 
How has he provided in our church, in our lives, in the past? How can we trust that he will do that in the future? And how can, in our waiting, it be a refining and a remembering that he uses the waiting and we don't waste the waiting? And he uses it for his glory and our joy and the good of our city. Amen? That's why God has you waiting in your life. That's why God has us waiting in our church. Why do we wait? Maybe... How do we wait? How are you waiting right now? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you even for these seasons of waiting. God, maybe right now these men and women in this room are going through some, some legit waiting for something significant in their lives. And maybe it is something serious and maybe it is something that they aren't even sure how to process or articulate, but they just know they feel an angst in their gut all the time. And God, I pray that this message would just speak into that fear, into that anxiety, into that waiting. And you would just help them to look at the refining that you want to do in that, at the remembering that you want to do in that. God, and you would fix our eyes on you, fix our eyes on Jesus who who came in the midst of this season of waiting and became flesh and lived amongst us to remind us that God does love you. You don't have to fear. God does have a plan. You can be reconciled to him. That there is a way to God. And we would look at in this 400 year season of waiting, God still showed up. He still cared for his people. He still brought Jesus and whatever we're going through or about to go through, that is still true today. And we can trust you and we can anchor in you even in the midst of the waiting. God, we can celebrate you. We can sing about you and, and we can um, just embed our lives in yours. And I pray that we would actually do that as we sing, as we respond, and that you would move even in the midst of the waiting. Uh, we, we need help with that. God, we can't do that. Uh, so we ask for your spirit. And we ask for, uh, in the name of Jesus, for you to do this on our behalf. Amen.